This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Equity Minds! I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is useful. Equity. Welcome to another episode of Equity May, the podcast where we explain the markets so you can buy more than carpets. We break down the world of investing from beginning to dividend so that you can hopefully make some returns. My name's Bryce, and as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How's it going, bro? I'm good, Bryce. How are you? Good. The the uh, intros keep flowing in from listeners, that one coming in from Darren. Yeah. Um, what, are your, what are your thoughts? Well, to p- pull the curtain back for our listeners, that that was our second attempt at it. <laughs> I thought you were gonna <laughs> you were gonna stumble over it again, but you got there. Got there in the end. Thanks to Darren for that one. Yeah, um, keep sending them in. It, yes, yeah, we uh, really appreciate it. We've actually got a cracker for the next episode that we do, and it's uh, quite timely that that it came in. So, looking forward to releasing that one. I think. Uh, it's safe to say now that I've done more than 10 episodes of different intros and I'm ready to sort of lock down one. So if there's any preferences... No, 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 no. I'm enjoying this too much. I think you have, um, you've set yourself a challenge now to have a new one for every episode. Oh, goodness. It takes more brain power doing this than it does actually talking about the show, Ralph. But <laughs> uh, it adds another 15 minutes of research, sifting through all of the ones that are coming in from our listeners. So, But anyway, keep it up. Really enjoying it. Well, I think that's a cry for help to all listeners out there that Bryce is struggling to come up with them. Although, <laughs> to be fair, I don't reckon you've co- actually come up with any yourself. I think you've only <laughs> used <laughs> listeners. No, I'm, I, I to have, save Bryce's brain power, keep keep them coming in so he can focus on the the back twenty minutes of the show, not the first two. Yes, that's correct. So, Ren, last week we did a basics one hundred and one on central banks and interest rates. We've got another basics one hundred and one coming up in an episode's time. So, we thought in between it would be a good opportunity for us just to catch up and chat about what we've actually been doing in our personal investing journey over the last couple of weeks something that we talk a lot about off air but thought it would be a good idea to formalize some of it on on air for all of our other equity mates out there there's been a few good developments from in terms of new apps coming to market and got a lot of questions around brokers and all that sort of stuff so i thought maybe it's a good opportunity just for us to bounce a few ideas and whatnot off each other and see how we go Sounds good. Given we're catching up, uh, I've, and I know some listeners hate us talking footy because it is very untimely. You know, if they're listening to this three weeks later, it's bad content. But bad content be damned. How about those bombers last night? Oh, mate. <laughs> I do not want to talk about that right now. I can't believe, I can't believe you brought that up. Yeah, yeah that's the only reason I wanted to do a catch-up episode. Now you've really put me off the episode. Absolute miserable performance from uh, the Essendon Football Club and um, not looking forward to 
seeing them slip outside of the eight, I don't, I don't, I can't see with so many injuries, I can't see how they're going to make the finals. I know we're a game clear in there at the moment, but there's some teams that are knocking on the door of the top eight that uh, are playing in much better form than Essen at the moment. But um, anyway, miserable, miserable, miserable. <laughs> miserable. Get James Heard back. <laughs> Get Joe Watson back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, all right. All right, well, mate, take your mind off it. Up, Stop thinking about footy. Yes. I've well and truly stopped thinking about the Swans, although I still put myself through every game. Um, They've been playing well. You were fourth last. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Yes, anyway, let's, enough about footy. So, catching up, Ren, should we discuss our two placeholder dates first? Oh, yeah, we should. If you want to hear more of this mindless, nonsensical banter, <laughs> we're not going to reveal too much about how or uh, in what format at this stage, no. but you can probably guess from context based on what I'm going to say next. If you're in Melbourne, keep the 4th of September free, and if you're in Sydney, keep the 5th of September free. Just pencil it in lightly at this stage, tentative in yeah. your Outlook calendar if you're putting it in your work calendar. Um, yep. Because there might be an announcement coming up, and we know it's not a lot of time between now and then, so we don't want you guys to uh, to book out and miss out. So keep it free. Keep it free. You don't have to take any annual leave. Uh, it'll be post work, but as Ren said, pencil it in lightly. Let your mates know and get keen because uh, if things go according to plan, uh, we should be able to reveal more details very shortly. So. We'll leave it there, Ren, but we're both very excited. Bryce has promised it will be the night of the year. Yes, I will be going through <laughs> my, my gambling tactics and we'll be smoking sleep. <laughs> no, uh, no, it'll be good. Keep it free. <laughs> it won't be the night of the year, but it will be a bloody good night. Yes. Right, so let's catch up, Ren. I don't know what you want to catch up about. You don't know what I want to catch up about. So maybe we should just go one for one until we've run out of things to chat about. <laughs> so, so this could be a long <laughs> episode then. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. Well, let's limit it to maybe three main things. Okay. Three main things. Do you want to start? Uh, yeah, sure. So I guess from our last episode on central banks and um, low interest rates, something that I've been watching closely and – I reckon a lot of people have been watching closely, are two assets that are known, I guess, as safe haven assets. One that has traditionally always been known as a safe haven asset and one that a few people on Twitter are trying to tell us are a safe haven asset for the 21st century, and that's gold and Bitcoin. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's good. So this is also one of my points to catch up about. So great that you started with that and we can focus on uh, mine's more so gold than Bitcoin. So I guess my question is firstly, are you in both gold and Bitcoin? No, never touching Bitcoin again. I do I do have some gold in my portfolio. I've I've had gold for years as a sort of well we'll explain why in a sec, but I actually have topped it up recently as well. So this isn't a buy and sell recommendation, but full disclosure that I have bought more gold recently or relatively yeah. recently. So I guess we should, let, let's explain the logic and then get into what's happened recently. When markets are down, you generally see gold going up. It's generally seen as a safe haven asset. 
it moves counter-cyclically. So if you think about the market, it moves in cycles. Gold, in theory, moves counter to that cycle. So when markets are down, gold's up and vice versa. But really, why you have gold in your portfolio is it's a it's a hedge against currency risk and a hedge against inflation. So if your if you know the Aussie dollar in Australia, let's say, is losing value, it's getting cheaper. Gold appreciates in value relative to Aussie dollars, and so gold is seen as a store of value that is protected from inflation or from you know currencies being devalued and what we're seeing at the moment now with really with every central bank around the world and a lot of governments around the world is that there's this race to devalue their currency which is concerning and which we'll probably do more in another episode Uh, but that what we've seen is that gold is acting as it should and it's up 25 percent in the last 12 months and if all these major economies keep devaluing their currency, we'll probably see more. In theory, gold should keep going up. Gold and silver should keep going up to, uh, as people flee to safety and hedge against that devaluation risk. Mm. And so let's chat more personally then. So I know gold is something that you've had exposure to for a while now and more recently you said you've topped up and I also in the last few weeks have probably put more into gold than anything else. And I'd be interested to know how you are accessing gold. I know that you think if done sort of the proper way, you would, you would be buying physical gold. I've got a grill and I've got four rings <laughs> and I've got a gold bar that sits on my desk. <laughs> now there, there's, there is good reason that you, say say this and that's because you know there are risks with buying ETFs that just track the price movement of gold and that's because it's not actually backed by the asset itself so I'm interested to know how you have been buying gold and, and has it changed since you first first bought to now or are you just buying into the same position yeah so you you would you would really think that gold is gold is gold if you're buying gold you're buying gold but there's a distinction that I am mindful of. Honestly, I don't, I don't know how important it really is, but it, it makes sense to be concerned about it for me. And so it's just a risk that I don't want to deal with. And that's the distinction is between paper gold and physical gold. And so physical gold is, as the name suggests, your... Um, you know, the gold rings that I'm wearing or the grill that I've got on, like it's physical gold that you can hold. But I think it's also, if you're investing on on a market, it's what you're buying is redeemable for gold. It's one, one to one, you know, one security is worth one unit of gold, whatever that unit is, a gram, an ounce, a ton if you're investing Bryce, but whatever it is, it's directly redeemable. So while you may not take possession of it, you're actually investing in physical gold. Paper gold is, they're like ETFs and stuff like that, where for each unit of physical gold held, there may be two, you know, there's, there's, a, there's more units of the security issued. So it means that each unit of the security, each unit isn't directly redeemable for actual gold. Mm. So 
I think it's just something you want to look out for. I'm sure there's a lot of ETF providers that would tell me it's not something I need to be concerned about. And look, that they're probably right. I don't know enough about it. But for me, it also makes sense to not take an unnecessary risk for something that I don't understand. Yeah. So for me, I've just always been mindful of investing in physical gold or, you know, I guess LICs they would be, listed investment companies. Okay that directly hold I'm just trying to they wouldn't be ETFs because ETFs just make more units unless they then go and buy more gold so this is where I guess the limits of my knowledge but yeah just always look for physical gold rather than paper gold so Ren the one that I've bought into I think quite matches that description reasonably well and I don't know if you've heard about it or if you're in it yourself but recently I bought its ticker is called gold G-O-L-D it's on the ASX and it's listed by a company called ETFs Physical, I think. So just to give you a bit of a rundown what it is, ETFs Physical Gold is designed to offer investors a secure way to access gold by providing a return obviously equivalent to the movement in the price. However, the, the good thing is that it's actually an exchange-traded commodity and gold is backed by physical allocated gold held by HSBC Bank. And so they're the custodian of this gold. And then only metal that conforms with the London Bullion Market Association's rules uh, can be accepted by the custodian. And then each physical bar is segregated, individually identified and allocated. And so because it's an ETC, an exchange-traded commodity, it can be created and redeemed on demand by market makers. It trades on the ASX just like an equity is settled and held in ordinary, ordinary brokerage accounts and is priced you know, similarly to an exchange-traded funds. So no new securities can be issued until the bullion is delivered to the custodian vault. Uh, and there's, it says there's not a lot of credit risk with this product. So what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, nice one. Uh, that's actually the one that I own as well, coincidentally. Uh, nice. Yeah. Nice. So, um, so that's a, great a good example. Great minds think alike, I guess. Yeah. So I guess before we move on from gold, unless there's anything else you want to cover about that, I'm interested, have you a percentage allocation in mind as a total percent of portfolio that you want to have exposure to gold or are you just buying per paycheck or what's your thoughts on on how you will allocate? Normally, it's about 5%. Recently, it's sort of maybe doubled. Now, it's about or sort of close to 10%. I don't think the, war, the world is falling down. If you've been on financial Twitter in the last two weeks, you would actually think that the whole global financial system is about to collapse. I'm just, you know, a little bit, little bit concerned by what's going on in US and China, and you know, if everyone keeps cutting rates to try and devalue their currency more and more, we're going to see a race to the bottom. And if we do see a race to the bottom, then you want to hedge against that currency risk. So, for for that reason, I'm just going to, you know, keep every now and then upping my exposure to gold, while at the same time hoping this all passes and. I don't actually need to be so exposed. Yeah, nice. So I'm sitting at about 6.25% as exposure at the moment. At about 6.25? Well, it's (laughs) 6.26 if I'm to be specific. Good, good, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, look, for me, it always makes sense to have some in your portfolio. The the idea of counter-cyclical assets generally is if you have a, you know, a terrible time in the stock market these assets should go up if everything else goes down and what that means for a you know long-term investor is 
there's an opportunity to sell that once it's gone up into the teeth of a really bad market and some buy some really cheap things. So, you know, if gold, I actually don't know how gold performed in 2008, but if gold spiked when the share market collapsed, in theory, you could then sell that gold when, as it, after it spiked and then use that money to then buy shares really cheap. And then you would have been able to, you know, get the last 10 years of the bull market. So that, that's the theory of how it should work. Obviously, you have to be pretty brave to invest in the worst times, but consistently people that do that do very well for themselves. That's where the money's made. Yeah. Just back on percentage allocation, a lot of questions come in around capital allocation. When you're looking at, when you're, when you're talking about 10%, are you looking at 10% of your invested funds or do you include your cash balances as well? I include my cash. Yeah, nice. Okay. Because, I mean, look, so do I. You're, you're making a to, – to hold money in cash, you're making a investment decision. You're you're allocating that money there deliberately. Yeah. I did, hopefully, people are putting thought into it. And for me, having cash as a rainy day in fund is worth it. It also gives you options if something goes wrong and you want to invest. But, yeah, you've you got you to gotta include it. Mm-hmm. Nice. Okay. I don't. I don't really know. I can't really explain it. And I'm sure a lot people a lot smarter than us us are looking at it. But just Google Russia and China buying gold. The amount of gold that those two countries have been buying recently and have been ramping it up in 2019. I don't, I don't really know what it means, but it's happening and it probably is significant. Mm, interesting. All right, I'll have a Google after this episode. So. Something I want to catch up about, Ren, I'm not sure if you've seen the latest uh, introduction to the to the finance world in terms of apps, but uh, Comsec, uh, ComBank have recently released a new app to market called Pocket, and it's blowing up online. A lot of listeners have been talking about it in our discussion group on Facebook, so I thought uh, we'd just have a quick chat about it to, I guess... Interested to hear your thoughts and also hopefully this is obviously not sponsored by Comsec in any way. Uh, if they're listening, hit us up. But <laughs> I think it I think it's got some um, positives that our um, that the, you know all other equity mates could benefit from. So have you heard about Pocket? I was just going to say before we get into it, when we last talked about a big bank product, we got some uh, we got some not hate mail, but we got some aggressive correspondence about. <laughs> The NAB equity builder and how we missed the point. Uh, I still don't think anyone, uh, I don't know if we did, but anyway, hopefully we can get some more aggressive correspondence about uh, this pocket app. Yeah, look, by no means uh, is this a, a promotion for Comset Pocket, but it's just another addition to all of the apps that are out there. So, so Ren Comset have released an app that helps everyday or anyone invest directly into the share market via exchange traded funds um, for as little as fifty bucks. I think it is. Um, now the big difference there is that I guess Wait, for, for, a, for as little as fifty bucks, as in your minimum investment is fifty bucks. Yes, minimum investment. Yeah, is yeah, 50 not bucks. not fifty dollars brokerage. No, no, fifty dollar minimum investment is fifty dollar compared with your your standard 500 on most of the bigger brokerage platforms these these days. So what they are trying to do is offer a very cheap and accessible way of accessing exchange-traded funds. And just like the trend is at the moment, they're also offer, offering an automated regular investing option 
as well into ETFs. So the good thing, Ren, is that it's $2 brokerage for trades up to $1,000. So it's um, pretty cheap and it's zero ongoing account keeping fees. At this stage, though, there are a limited number of ETFs available. To name a couple, we've got the Aussie Top 200, which is the largest 200 companies in Australia. They've got a Global 100, which is the 100 Global Blue Chips. They've got an Emerging Markets and Aussie Dividends ETF, so large Aussie companies that consistently pay above average dividends. So if you're looking for some income, they've got a tech ETF, sustainable leaders, I'm guessing that's through beta shares and also a healthcare one. So a reasonable amount of options there, but I thought it was interesting that they're now separating their platform from traditionally having ComSec, where you, you go and do all of your investing as both you and I do. Uh, now they're obviously seeing that there's this trend in ETFs and also the the desire for it to be done as cheaply as possible. So I'm interested to see. I think this is going to have pretty good take up from a lot of people. What are your thoughts? So, so my first thought is, is the $2 brokerage red herring? Is it actually the best option? And while you were just explaining the different ATFs there, I just seized on your ASX 200. So I had a look online and pocket the ASX 200 ETF that it has is the iShares ASX 200 ETF by BlackRock. The management fee for yep. that is nine basis points, 0.09%. And from memory, BetaShares has the lowest management fee on an ASX 200. Yeah, they've got the ASX yeah, 200. Yeah, uh, 0.07% yep. management fee. So look, not not wildly out of line, but it is actually it is less for beta shares than it is with iShares. So I guess the important thing to keep in mind is over time the two dollars brokerage may be cheaper than six dollars with CMC, eight dollars with IG, whatever some of the other cheaper ones are. But if you're paying an extra two basis points every year as a management fee over a long period of time, eventually you'll come out worse off. It depends how much money you've got in and all of that in terms of how much, but something to keep in mind that brokerage is only part of the fee structure when you're talking about ETFs. Yeah, no, it's a very good point to consider. In saying that, making it easier for people to get into the market and to get into some of these ETFs, which are still, you know, like iShares is still very cheap, like 0.09 is extremely low so in saying that i don't want to you know rain on the app just important to keep the full fee structure in mind so when i did a bit of research for this comsec had released a few points from a survey that they'd done and they concluded that currently just four percent of australian adults place a trade online in the share market each year i'm assuming that's outside of superannuation that would be direct trade so four percent of australian adults with the number one, yeah. that's tiny, with the number one reason being that they feel the barriers to getting started are too high. So I guess that's what we're all about here at Equimates anyway, Ren. So opportunities there, but I was astounded at only 4% of Australians. So certainly opportunity. Opportunity for Comsec Pocket, yeah. but also opportunity for Equimates. Big time. <laughs> Big time. We should be aligning with, with Comsec. Anyway, let's move on. So anything else from your end? Yeah, well, we... we- touched on it earlier but bitcoin's back 
Yeah, Bitcoin's back. <laughs> so, so to give a paper, but you're not. No, no. Well, to get my Bitcoin journey was as it ran up the first time, telling you guys that you were dumb to be in it and that I wasn't gonna get swept up in the fad, only to break down and invest right near the top <laughs> and just ride it down. No, no, not right near the top. The top. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. Come it was, on. <laughs> Oh, it was dumb. It was so dumb. I got off my high horse and threw my money away. I could have stayed on my high horse and would have been able to crow about it to this day. For this whole time. (laughs) Um, So as an interested observer but not active participant in the cryptocurrency market, so in AUD, to give people an idea of the ride that Bitcoin has been on, it got up to 25 Grand for one Bitcoin, twenty five Australian, uh, twenty five thousand dollars Australian for one Bitcoin in December twenty seventeen. Then it collapsed in twenty eighteen, and at its low, it was just four thousand dollars for one Bitcoin in December twenty eighteen. Since then, so in what nine months since then, it's up four hundred percent to a bit wow. over sixteen thousand dollars for. One Bitcoin, so not not quite at its highs, but definitely trending in the right direction for those cryptocurrency inclined investors. Which is that you or is that not you? I am in Bitcoin, and <laughs> it's surprisingly higher than I thought. It's because of the rise in price. It's actually three point one six percent of portfolio at the moment. So almost as much of an exposure to Bitcoin as I have gold, but that's just because of the the run that it's had over the last few few weeks or months as you talk about. So maybe I'll consider doing something about that because it's a bit higher than I thought it would be, to be honest. But yeah, I don't really have a plan with it. I'm just going to sit it in there. It's something that um, for a while I've thought if it goes down, it goes down. But I would like some exposure to it. If it's going to go the way that some of these FinTwick people think it is, then <laughs> I, I, I want to be part of it. <laughs> I know we've been, uh, we've been shitting on FinTwitter FinTwit, is that oh, financial Twitter, whatever it's called, uh, a lot. But, oh, my God, like you would actually think the sky was falling in. To give our new listeners to the show a bit of an insight into FinTwit, firstly, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining the journey as we learn to invest. But FinTwit is, I guess, a, a community on Twitter that uh, is solely discuss how the finance and, and economics and, and all things related currently at, at this point in time. and across the globe. And as Renz alluded to, there are a lot of people with um, some very strong opinions. And uh, whilst it's entertaining to follow them, yeah, you can certainly go on and have a, a, an image painted that is uh, pretty negative at the moment, especially over in Europe. It feels like everything's about to fall off a cliff. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, anyway, worth following. Um, if you have Twitter, jump on and um, try and find follow some of the people, if anything, just to get a an idea of what we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. So Bitcoin, I I don't, I don't really know what to say about it, to be honest. It, it is what it is. Uh, it, it'll probably keep running until I fold and put more money into it and then it will collapse again. So <laughs> as a commitment to all of our equity mates out there, I'll announce on the podcast before I'm going to buy it and give you guys at least 24 hours <laughs> to sell <laughs> before I buy in. <laughs> You're the barometer for the success of Bitcoin. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> Rand, 
Ren, I've just got one more thing to catch up on before we wrap up, unless you have anything else as well. Mine's very brief, just an FYI for you and anyone else. I have decided to test out self-wealth for broker. Um, there's a few people chatting about it. I want to see what it's all about. So I've signed up um, to place some trades. I know they're $9.50 flat fee for every purchase, so a bit more expensive than IG, but they're not a custodian model. They are you do take full ownership of the stocks. But one thing I want to just share with you, and I'm interested to hear your thoughts because I, I'm not sure how I feel about it, but they just sent an email at the end of the week to me. So week 31, your portfolio performance for the 3rd of August to the 9th of August. And in big letters, it says, how much have I made this week? And tells me how much I've made as a, as a, yeah, as a percentage. And then it tells me my net worth. Then it tells me my 12-week performance. Snapshot. What's your net worth? But then it gives me... Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And then, but then what it, I found really interesting is that they put you in brackets of where you're performing compared to everyone else in self-wealth. Oh, that's interesting. And so they're like, are you in the top 4%? Are you in the bottom 4%? But the way they say it is that the scale is literally from good to bad and you get put on that scale. And I don't like the idea of being, <laughs> well, I just don't like the idea of being put in a bad end of a scale when you're investing. Like, Yeah. The, the, I was going to say, the interesting thing is like there's some very clever psychological decisions that they've made from a business standpoint, but not great for the investors that are on their platform. Yeah. I, I'm very unsure about how to feel about this. And then, and then they give the top three investors who have performed well this week and what their portfolios are up. And then they also give the top performing stocks and the least performing stocks. So the whole thing is about community and like you can follow other investors and see how their portfolio is tracking. And if you want to mirror their portfolio, it'll tell you the stocks that they're in, they're invested in and that sort of stuff. So from like an exploratory point of view to find new stocks and see what other others are doing, it's great. But I'm not sure about getting told week on week how my stocks are performing and where I'm placed relative to everyone else. I think it drives quite short-term investing behavior, which we're not quite really about. Yeah. So I'm going to say something really controversial and hopefully the someone at Self Wealth hears it and they come on to defend themselves. <laughs> yes, yeah. Brokerages make money through transaction volume. They don't care if you're making money or not. They just clip that $9.50 every time you make a trade. Yeah. Yeah. The, all of those things in the email seem to just lend themselves to, and like cleverly from a business standpoint, but to manipulate people, well, to encourage people to just trade volume, to try and be told... Like there's something psychologically damaging about being told week on week that you're bad yeah, that's and that I mean. you're some the worst on the platform. Yeah. And vice versa, there's something 
psychologically nourishing about being told every week that you're good and that you're better than your peers at something that's so critical to, you know, your life as in making money and being able to, you know, to trade well. I think that's a damaging email to send weekly, especially to people who are just starting to invest. Yeah, I completely I think agree. it incentivizes the wrong behavior and it incentivizes behavior that's good for self-wealth as a business. Mm-hmm. No, fully agree. I think when I got it, I was a bit, oh, this could go either way. And luckily, so far, the last week performed well, but it could be quite, uh, it could be quite off-putting, especially if you've just started, as you said, and find that you're consistently in the bad end of things. It's not. We all know it's a long journey, so being told week on week where you're at could have some negative effects. But yeah, just thought I'd, I'll keep you updated to let you know how I track with self wealth. Well, let's let's get if someone from self wealth self wealth is listening. Come on, let's have a chat about it. Yeah, sure. All right, we'll try and follow them up. <laughs> All right, Ren. One more thing from you. What do you got? Okay, so there. Oh, now I've got to choose of my final two. All right, yeah, so the Australian one, um, a lot of people, well, some people may have seen that uh, Rural Funds, uh, Rural Funds Group, uh, yes, ASX RFF, had an interesting week. So I just wanted to give uh, have a chat about it. So the, the, uh, the week or the week and a half that was, the company was down 43% in a day on the back of a short seller claiming that the company inflated their rental income and inflated the value of their property. And then in the couple of days since, it was back up to almost parity. I think it was up. It's back up about 33% after it fell. Didn't it go into a trading halt? It did. It did go into a trading halt. And then it exited the trading halt after the, in the company's management strongly refuted all the claims. They stood behind PwC's audit of their books. They did admit one error, which I found kind of strange. So they, in their books, you know, in the annual report or whatever it was, they said they had a $8,000, they loaned out $8,000 to an associated company. They did admit that it was an error and that the loan was actually $14.4 million, which seems like a mm. big error, but they said it was, I think they said it was like a formula error in a spreadsheet or something. But to the to the crux of what the short sellers were claiming, they they strongly refuted it, and the market obviously listened. They're currently getting audited by EY, and I think we'll we'll see that in a couple of weeks. So it'll be really interesting to see. But the 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 thing that I found interesting is that this short seller Benitez Research is a, an American firm, but they're also the firm that sank blue sky blue sky alternative investments like six months ago or something so if you don't remember that blue sky invested in like just alternative assets i think like water futures and other things that are hard to price unlisted quite exotic and they were you know the market liked them gave them exposure to different assets but anyway this this short seller wrote a scathing report about blue sky and blue sky tanked it looks like they just followed the same business model here, the short sellers, but it looks like this time the company's fighting back and have maybe having a little bit more success. Mm. So it's interesting. It's, it's an interesting business model, the this short selling 
and then going really public with your concerns business model? Yeah. Uh, one of one of our listeners ran wrote in, I'm not sure if you saw it, but it was a pretty good idea for an episode and that would that's looking at examples of this, you know, over the last few years, not necessarily always driven by short sellers, but more around when there's a dramatic one day drop in share price, the case study around how it recovers and, and how soon it recovers after and and almost lit, piecing together overall returns if you pursued a strategy of taking advantage of huge one day drops like this and, and trying to buy in and then and I guess sell out when when it rebounds. It seems like this one rebounded quite strongly, whereas other ones say AMP that had a huge one day loss, they it hasn't recovered and I guess also continues to slide. So it'd be an interesting exercise to do. It would be a, a, on AMP. They had an annual well, their annual report recently. Shocking, just <laughs> by the way. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, but back the, on on the short sellers, it's it is interesting. Our fr- sometimes friends, sometimes rivals over at the Motley Fool on their podcast were talking about how they thought short selling shouldn't be legal in the market, like it should be banned. I actually don't agree with that at all. I think the amount of Same. frauds the, the short sellers catch that auditing firms and accounting firms don't catch, that market regulators don't catch, and that government regulators don't catch, I actually think short sellers play a really important role in the financial system. And you only need to look at, you know, one of our mates is obsessed with Mark Cahotas, the American short seller, but you only need to look at his history of finding frauds to realise that he's definitely added value and definitely saved a lot of investors a lot of money. But yeah, I mean, this is there's always the controversy, like if the short seller's wrong, which who knows at this point in this case, but it's an interesting one to keep an eye on if you haven't been following it so far. It seems like it's a battle of a big US short seller against an Australian agricultural company and both sides aren't backing down at this point. Yeah, I think they're a very important part to the total e- ecosystem in investing. I think, you know, if they're wrong, so be it. It's no, not too dissimilar to some equity analysts coming out and saying that, you know, target share price is $10 to $20 above current and them being totally wrong as well. So just obviously the short sellers have a much more negative light, <laughs> shining up much more negative light on the company, which is why I think they're obviously hated more than, other people in the industry, but yeah, yeah, good find, Ren. So if people want to hear us talk more, we will still stick to a sort of time limit, uh, pencil in September 4 and September 5 mm. in Melbourne and Sydney respectively. If you're not in those two cities, yes, uh, we get your feedback that <laughs> we haven't been to your cities yet. If there's enough support from any one city, hopefully we'll be able to get there in the near future. Absolutely. So Canberra or Brisbane, whatever. Perth, Let us know Adelaide, if you can. But yeah, Darwin, Perth, Adelaide, Wagga, Wagga, New York, LA, London, wherever. Anyway, Ren, good to catch up on some of the things that we've been looking at over the past couple of weeks. Um, hopefully, everyone got something out of it and always good to chat stocks. And we will touch base again next week. Sounds good. Equity mates and the people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. This is general advice only. Please speak to a financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your individual situation.
integrity, man. I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is useful. 